Well, hey, friends, welcome to another episode of Called to Confidence. I have something a little different for you today. And over the next few episodes, I'm going to read my book, The Girl in the Garage, Three Steps to Letting Go of Your Past to You. Now, in case you're new to the show or new to me and my story, the story that I've written is very PG. But if you have small children in the room, you may not want to have to explain to them some of the things in the book. So I would suggest that you either listen later when they're not around or put in some earbuds. Also, you might want to grab a notebook and a pen. My book is written workbook style. So as I'm reading this to you, I'm going to guide you into those sections and prompt you. And um, hey, this is going to be a great time. If you are struggling with confidence and self-worth issues, I've got you covered. All right, let's do this. What if the only thing standing in the way of changing your life was having the confidence you need? I found there's three areas you need to be confident in in order to succeed. Your mind, your faith, and your leadership. One or all three of these areas will always be in play. You are listening to Call to Confidence. I'm your host, Sharon Hughes, and confidence looks good on you. Part 1, A Foundation of Lies. Chapter 2, It's a Really Big Mess. The first 18 years of my life closely resemble scenes from Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Some of it is even lifetime channel worthy. What happened to me is truly a big mess and does not feel like my life, but I'm grateful for some of it. Yep, keyword is some. It shaped me into who I am now and gave me insights that can't be learned from reading books. I know that sounds really weird, but it's true. This is the story of what my life used to look like, and I'm not kidding when I say it's a really big mess. I want you to know how bad it was so you can grasp what's possible to overcome, find hope, and more importantly, know how miraculous and radical God's healing and grace is. Most of my story doesn't make any sense, but messy, broken patterns never do. Maybe your story is messy too. I'm purposefully leaving graphic details of the sexual abuse I endured out of this story because for one, it's just too disgusting to write, and two, if you've been sexually assaulted, I don't want you to be triggered by my story. We'll be PG all the way. I got you, friend. Once Upon a Time I think this Once Upon a Time story is more like a Grimm's fairy tale. Will Hansel and Gretel escape the witch after being abandoned by their parents? Will Rumpelstiltskin take the baby away from the poor queen that was forced into marriage because of greed? In my story, you'll wonder if anyone goes to jail, if there's any justice served. Spoiler alert, no one goes to jail, but they should have, and no justice was ever served. Fortunately, I escaped the emotional prison that held me for decades, so I could write these words to give you hope that evil doesn't win in the end. My parents divorced when I was about five years old. My mother had met another man whom she thought was her prince, rescuing her from my father. He wasn't, 
He was just a different version of the pattern she had known her whole life. She left my father, who was an alcoholic that was physically, emotionally, and sexually abusive towards her, my two older brothers, and myself. At this tiny age, I already knew a lot about sex, which really shocked me years later when I became a mother. One day, it just hit me that five-year-olds shouldn't know the things I knew. The Missouri Nightmare My mother moved the three of us kids from California to Missouri with her new prince and his two sons, abandoning her prince's 16-year-old daughter. Oh, the pain and dysfunction is deep in this family. My heart breaks wide open for the trauma they caused my stepsister. She came home from school one day to an empty apartment and a note saying goodbye. That's it. I'm serious. That's it. No family, no money, no food. Just a note saying you'll be fine. When I was seven years old, I slept in a makeshift room off the kitchen on the opposite side of the house from everyone else. One night while I was in my bed, my stepbrother, Kevin, who was 17, came in through the back door off the kitchen. I heard the screen door slam and called out saying, read me a story. Instead of a story, he tried to rape me. He did horrible things to me and kept asking me if I liked it. It makes me sick to even think about it. I never told until decades later and I was betrayed. The screen door slammed again, startling Kevin, and he stopped. I don't know who it was, and I don't remember hearing any footsteps or voices. I believe it was divine intervention that interrupted his attack on me. There's no doubt in my mind that Kevin would have continued the abuse. He was a disgusting character that took great pleasure in terrorizing me. I'll never forget the day he put me in an old shed and took shots at me with his BB gun while I clung to my puppy for comfort. Chapter 3 Taken My brother David ran away and hitchhiked across the country back to California to be with our father. David had very deep wounds and desperately wanted our father's love and approval. My father had a way of using and manipulating people to get what he wanted and he used David. The two of them drove from California to Missouri and literally abducted me through my bedroom window one night. I remember crying and calling for my mother, but she didn't come. We hadn't driven very far when we were pulled over by the police. I was in the back seat and my father told me to pretend I was asleep. I was told years later that he had obtained custody of me in California and showed the papers to the officer and that's why he let us go. I didn't have any communication with my mother until seven years later when I was 14. My mother kept the newspaper clipping with the very brief details of my abduction. Her and my stepfather were quoted saying they would take steps to get me back. I always wondered why they didn't. As a parent, I wonder what were these people thinking? Who in the world takes a child out the window and uses another child to accomplish their mission. It's inconceivable and unbelievable. The unanswered questions would never be answered. I never understood why my father took me when he was so abusive towards me in the following years. I was scared and scarred. 
Why didn't he handle this in a normal, legal way? Perhaps it was retaliation towards my mother, or maybe it was something else. My brother David was a regular teenager that was trying to figure everything out. He started a garage band, which I thought was cool because his friends taught me to play the drums and didn't care if I was around. Unfortunately, because of our father's weird control issues and deep insecurity, anyone that was actually better than him at anything didn't have a chance of success. He would make sure that you knew you weren't good enough by belittling and criticizing you until you gave up. David was a better musician than my father, and it wasn't long before he was beating David down emotionally. As with so much of my story, there's a ton of missing pieces and things that don't make sense. I don't know what happened, but David and our father were in an argument, and David was kicked out. I don't even remember saying goodbye to him. It wasn't long before my father remarried a nice lady named Lulu. Lulu didn't last long. She left almost as quickly as she came. My father would drive around for hours looking for her with me in tow. He moved on and began dating multiple women, desperately trying to find someone to fill his void. I must have been eight years old when he asked me if I had crabs in my pants. I said, you mean like sand crabs at the beach? I remember thinking, why would I have sand crabs in my pants? He wasn't talking about sand crabs from the beach. Do you see the pattern starting to take place? Being exposed to this level of desperate, dysfunctional, and toxic behavior was setting the stage for this is normal when clearly it's not. Mr. P and his son. When I was about nine years old, I had a babysitter named Bonnie. She was a petite lady with several sons. All of them were nice except Peter. He was just as disgusting as his father, Mr. P. His father taught him to grope me. He watched what his father did and then took his turn. Another man passing the baton of thinking he can do and take what he wants, continuing the pattern of abuse and brokenness. I never told anyone. There wasn't anyone to tell. At this point in my life, the pattern of being violated and not telling was well underway. I think Bonnie must have known something wasn't right because she stopped babysitting me rather suddenly and I never saw them again. To this day, I still have nightmares about someone watching me use the bathroom. That was one of the ways that Peter violated me. There was a linen closet that could be accessed from both the hallway and the bathroom. When I went into the bathroom, Peter would open the closet doors to watch me from the hallway. I felt so violated and unsafe, and again, there was no one to tell. He marries again. When I was 11, my father married Stephanie. Stephanie had big, beautiful green eyes and three kids. It wasn't long before my father was abusing her. A few years later, during my freshman year of high school, I heard my father knocking Stephanie around and I'd had enough. He had previously twisted her arm so severely she was in a sling for weeks. I tried to protect her while one of my stepsisters called the police. When the police came, we were sent to our rooms and my father was gone. 
I don't know if he was arrested or told to leave until he cooled off and sobered up. Over the next few weeks, Stephanie began the process to leave my father. There was no certainty about anything at this point. I was swept away in a sea of emotions, not knowing what would happen next. Stephanie was trying desperately to keep all four of us kids safe and navigate her legal rights. I still remember her fear that my father's rifle would be turned on us, so she took it to a friend's house. She met with a lawyer that explained she didn't have legal custody of me and that I would have to enter the foster care system. Thankfully, I never did because of a phone call, but I'm not sure where I ended up was any better than being in foster care.